0: Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes best selling author and senior lecturer in psychology in the UK, Dr. Stephen Taylor. The two of them will be chatting about his latest book, Extraordinary Awakenings. So tune in and hear how spiritual awakening can occur in the most unexpected places. And now we welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150 kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast 1. And our quick disclaimer for the Petaluma folks that the views expressed here are not necessarily the views of Petaluma Community Access KPCA Radio or its board of directors, volunteer staff or underwriters. And you can find out more about me through my website which is goldenoversoul.com. That is golden oversoul.com. um benny how are things up in seattle
0: doing pretty good uh you know halloween is uh, just around the corner and we had a oh. little shindig party on wednesday yep and uh didn't place but that's okay i had a lot of fun no matter what and though i did place sunny in my first ever attempt the chili cook off
1: oh you did i There's did place. i got Wait. third that out chili- of nine
0: <laughs> Very good. I'm very proud of myself.
1: (laughs) Wait, was this at the station or you mean a different show? No, this was here. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that seems like a new addition to the Halloween festivities lineup.
0: Yeah, it was uh, brought on a little bit last year. Uh, Everyone kind of did their home version and then uh, a couple samples came in. But then, of course, everyone's kind of returning back to the home front here at the studios that uh, we decided to kind of get that group feeling back on and you know what better way to do it than a bowl full of jelly
1: <laughs> well <laughs> right? hey that's about right sure well, okay so what did you end up I know I'm, I'm oh. so sorry you didn't place because I know in past years the yeah. costume contest at the station you have been like you have more number one titles than most uh, or I think anybody else but what did you go as this year
0: what well, only helps because I've stayed here for 20 years so <laughs> <laughs> the longer I'm here maybe those numbers will increase it's not that I'm really <laughs> that good it's just I don't leave <laughs> <laughs> So in the well, news, it's in in the news as of this last you know month. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, I went to WSU Washington State University, so uh, the their coach was fired, obviously because he wasn't doing the mandated uh rec- you know requirements for the state. So I uh-huh. actually dressed up as him and had a little uh, sign that said "We'll coach for free." Uh, was oh dear a, yeah I know it might have been a little too soon but I don't care but I think a lot of people around here liked it so it was good
1: Oh, well, that's awesome, Benny. Well, I'm sorry that you did not win ah, it's okay. in place in the chili cook-off. Maybe I'll I'll have to try some of that chili when I'm back up in Seattle.
0: Hey, it sounds good. I can just freeze it and send it down. You know, people can do that.
1: <laughs> uh, well, good to hear your voice, Here's Benny. Too. And um, nice. yeah, so we'll go ahead and we'll welcome our amazing guest for right. today. And I'm really excited to speak with uh Steve Taylor, PhD, is the author of Extraordinary Awakenings and many other best-selling books. He's senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University and the chair of the transpersonal psychology section of the British Psychological Society. Steve's articles and essays have been published in over 100 academic journals, magazines, and newspapers, and he blogs for Scientific American and Psychology Today. Eckhart Tolle has described his work as an important contribution to the shift in consciousness which is happening on our planet at present. Steve lives in Manchester, England with his wife and three young children. Uh, Find out more about his work and the book we'll be discussing today at his website. That is stephenmtaylor.com. That's stephenmtaylor.com. And Stephen is spelled with a V, uh, so S-T-E-V-E-N uh dr taylor welcome to sunny in seattle
2: hi sunny great to be with you
1: hi well i really appreciate you joining us all the way from the uk i know it's a, a little bit different in time there so not not too late i hope
2: no no it's only five o'clock in the afternoon so it's still quite early
1: Okay, wonderful. Well, um, I wanted to just um, start with a little background question because um, I uh, I know I am familiar with, but have not read some of your earlier works. And I know that you have an interest in uh, spiritual awakening, and of course, this latest book talks about um, uh, transformation through turmoil or TTT. I'm curious, you know, as a psychologist, how did you become interested in spiritual awakenings to begin with?
2: it came from my own experience um when i um i think it goes back to when i was a teenager um i was quite an unusual teenager i like to spend time on my own and i like to sort of wander around sort of looking at the sky and looking at the trees and occasionally i'd have um what i now realize were spiritual experiences although at the time i didn't understand them i thought i was crazy I Thought there's something mm. wrong with me but um years later When I began to read books about spirituality, I thought, ah, I recognize my own experiences. You know, these feelings of oneness with my environment or these feelings of uh, being uplifted and being sort of feelings of transcendence. Mm -hmm. So um, years later, I became a psychologist, partly because I wanted to understand these experiences. I still, you know, I had them from time to time, every so often, and I was interested in finding out why they occur. And is it possible to you know to live in a permanent state of spiritual awakening? So those are the things I want you to investigate.
1: Yes, yes. And so this latest book uh, is called "Extraordinary uh, Awakening," and I'm from a, from the perspective of extraordinary awakenings. What makes them extraordinary, or how do you define extraordinary in the in the context of this book?
2: There are two meanings of extraordinary. Really, uh, the first one is that the experiences are extraordinary because they occur in very unusual circumstances so they can occur in in warfare uh, when soldiers are close to death or in the stress and anxiety of of a battle they can also occur in in prison you know i found that they were actually very common in prison you know i devoted two chapters of the book to to prisoners spiritual experiences because they were so common but also in after long periods of addiction long periods of depression when people were con- were contemplating suicide or actually did attempt suicide. So, yeah, they, they occur in these incredibly desperate situations when people have lost all hope, you know, they've lost, they've lost everything, which gives them a sense of identity. And you know, often at the point where they they are close to giving up completely or, you know, close to attempting suicide, then this transformational experience would occur. And the second meaning of extraordinary is that the the experiences themselves were incredibly mysterious and miraculous in the sense that people felt as if they became a different person living in the same body. They had a completely different outlook on life, a completely different um, um, outlook on the world, completely different relationships and so forth. So the, the change in people was so remarkable that that was extraordinary as well.
1: And was this something you noticing these different contexts, like you mentioned, incarceration or um, uh, addiction or the other uh, combat, the other contexts that you explore? Did this arise organically that you started to see these trends among these different groups or were people coming to you uh, bringing their stories or how Mm -hmm. did it how did you put these together?
2: it began when i was investigating spiritual experiences the kind i described just before about you know my, in relation, relation to my own experiences uh-huh. so i was investigating temporary spiritual experiences which last for a few seconds or a few minutes so that that could happen for example you know a soldier gave me an experience on the battlefield where he was in vietnam in 1969 you know in 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 people were you know seriously injured people were dying around him and suddenly he had this fe- this feeling that he was taken out of his own body and he- somehow he expanded and he was part of his surroundings and he was filled with this incredible sense of euphoria and freedom. Mm. But, uh, that's a good example of a, a powerful spiritual experience. But but those experiences often last for a short period of time, maybe a few a few minutes, maybe a few hours if you're lucky. And then they fade away. So I was investigating those experiences for quite a long time. But then I began to realize that some people were telling me that they had these experiences, but they didn't fade away. They actually kind of stabilised and became their normal state of being. And then they felt as if they were different people with a different feeling about life. So I began to realise that psychological turmoil, you know, the stress of, of being on a, in, a, in, a, in a combat zone or the stress of depression or divorce or other situations, that was very strongly related to these these experiences of you know ongoing permanent spiritual awakening so I began to investigate it more and more just because I I kept finding more and more examples of it
1: yeah it was so interesting before as I'm reading the book um, before I got to the chapter on the um, uh, where you specifically address near-death experiences as one of these contexts in which this could occur I was thinking all along I was like oh this sounds like the kind of changes that can happen Through near death experience. I've interviewed a number of folks who either research or have been near death experiencers and, and there are some characteristics there, you know that that the fact that the change is really permanent it's not. I like that you distinguish between, for example, like the religious born again experience which um, well I'd love to hear you speak about that you know how do we distinguish what you are researching, uh, including near death experiences, um, versus something like a religious born again experience.
2: Yeah, superficially they seem similar, but um, but born-again religious experiences are essentially conceptual. They're about taking on new beliefs and, you know, seeing the world through a new belief system. But transformation through turmoil doesn't involve any concepts or beliefs. In actual fact, it's a kind of letting go of concepts and beliefs and living purely in experience. And also, born-again experiences even though they can last for a few years or a long period of time, but they tend to be quite temporary and superficial. Usually, you know, they only last for a certain period of time. But transformational transformation through turmoil tends to be indefinite. You know, I, I interviewed people who went through this experience when they were in their 20s and now they're in the 70s and it still hadn't changed. One person, he underwent a spiritual awakening when he was 29 and he was 93 when I, when I interviewed mm. him. And he's he's still, you know, he was still in that state. So once you're in that, you know, once you undergo this transformation, it does become permanent. It's like, um, in in the same way that once a baby's born, you you can't be unborn. Once this new identity is born, it can't disappear again.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned again, I want to make sure before we dive too much deeper, um, this transformation through turmoil, TTT. Um, I know a lot of folks out in our listening audience may be familiar with um, the phenomenon of post-traumatic growth. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how those two are distinguished and what makes the TTT that we're talking about today different?
2: They are similar. And I I would say that transformation through turmoil is a very dramatic and extreme form of post-traumatic growth. Post-traumatic growth is when uh, people go through traumatic situations, for example, after an accident or a period of uh, depression, maybe divorce or maybe, um, you know, a serious injury. And in the long run, they undergo some positive after effects. So maybe their relationships become deeper and stronger. Maybe they feel a new sense of gratitude for their bodies, you know once once they've healed. Uh, maybe they feel um, a new sense of purpose in their, in their lives. Um, but it's a, it's quite a gradual thing, and it's not very radical. It's a kind of you know incremental slight change in their perspective on life. And it's very so incidentally, it's very common. you know some research has suggested that around fifty percent of people um, experience some post-traumatic growth in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. But TTT, uh, or transformation through turmoil, is much more dramatic and and radical. So it usually occurs suddenly, almost in in a sudden moment of transformation, almost as if um, the normal ego collapses and a new identity takes over straight away. And it's it's a, a very radical change. So people feel as if they are literally different people living in the same body. And... So that's the essential difference, that TTT is much more dramatic.
1: And you call the folks that experience this uh, transformation through turmoil shifters. Um, I know we've touched on some of the characteristics of these folks or what can happen, but what um, what do we need to know about for purposes of our conversation? What are the shifters or how do you define that?
2: The shifters, uh, well, I call them shifters because they shift into a different state of being, or you could say they shift into a state of spiritual awakening. And it is quite similar to you know you said before about um, near death experiences. It's quite similar to the transformation that they undergo. It's, it's actually the same transformation. It is a, it's a spiritual awakening, and essentially you could say that they they experience the state of enlightenment which spiritual seekers are looking for. You know and there are millions of spiritual seekers who are you know following paths of transformation, and, and maybe undergoing this transformation in a very gradual way. But these people, the shifters, they suddenly shift into that state of spiritual awakening. and um, there was one guy actually uh, he he underwent a transformation after a long period of stress due to relationship problems and stress at work and depression. and he didn't really understand what had happened to him because he didn't have any background in spirituality. that's quite common actually. a lot of people don't really understand what's happened to them unless they've got some sort of uh, previous interest in spirituality. So it takes them a while to to work out what's happened. But usually they gravitate towards spiritual books or spiritual teachers. And then, and then, they, then they realize, ah, so I'm not crazy after all. I've gone to spiritual <laughs> <Yeah>. awakening. <laughs> but this guy, yeah. he, he began to investigate Buddhism because he knew there was something about Buddhism which kind of resonated with his experience. And he went to a Buddhist monastery and he, he had a meeting with one of the monks. And he described how he saw the world and how he experienced um, things. And the monk said, be quiet. Don't tell anybody about this. <laughs> because you found what everyone's looking for here all the monks are trying to find what you've looking for What well, you've already they're trying to find what you've already got so that's a good illustration it's essentially spiritual awakening
1: yeah and you you even address this in the book and i think it's a good question because people may be asking it now having heard what you just did about what the monk the buddhist monk said um, to that particular gentleman but that um you know what is the difference as you see it or is there one between this spiritual awakening or wakefulness and what many traditions call something like enlightenment
0: i think
2: it's essentially the same thing um I think different traditions they interpret it in different ways. I mean, obviously, what the Buddhists call enlightenment is slightly different from what uh, Chinese Taoists refer to as Ming, which is essentially enlightenment in that context. Or in Christian mystical uh, traditions, they sometimes talk about uh, oneness with God, or they call it deification when they become one with God. And I think these are just basically different interpretations of the same, roughly the same type of experience. But when People experience a shift into this state outside the context of spiritual traditions. I think they're experiencing it in a more kind of pure state. You know, it's they're not interpreting it in terms of concepts or pre-existing beliefs. They're experiencing it in a very direct and pure way, uh, which is why it's sometimes quite confusing for them. But it's essentially that they're ex- you could say that they're exploring the same landscape. It's this kind of like a, a landscape of expansive human experience. And they're, you know, they're all exploring it and experiencing it in slightly different ways.
1: Yeah. And I know this, this is definitely outside of the book, but as you've been talking, I just have to ask, I don't know if this is something that, that um, you have looked into at all, but I've also had the the opportunity to do some research or, or um, interview some folks around um experiences with psychedelics say ayahuasca or peyote or um uh psilocybin mushrooms for example and i know that people experience shifts when they do that it kind of opens up their perspective perhaps awakens them a little do you hmm. have any frame i mean if we're comparing transformation through turmoil or the experience of what those provide and I, I again i apologize this is outside the scope of the book but just as no. you are talking i had to ask
2: no no it's a good question uh, no need to apologize. <laughs> it's an interesting question. I mean, um, I talk about that in one of my previous books, actually. The, the Oh, leap.
1: OK. Oh, um, well, goodness. I need to read it. Then.
2: <laughs> yeah. um, well, th- there were definitely some similarities. Again, it's a question of, of exploring the same landscape through a different way. You know, I think when people talk, take psychedelics, they're kind of like it's almost as if they're parachuting into this landscape off a plane. You
1: know? Yeah. Whereas
2: people who who follow who follow spiritual paths or they're exploring it very gradually. You know, they're sort of encountering it in a much more uh, stable and, and gradual way. But it, I mean, not all psychedelic experiences are a spiritual a Spiritual experiences. Right. You know, you can, you can get all kinds of different experiences, but they certainly can be powerful spiritual experiences, which is why, as you say, they, they can be very transformational. You know, I've met a lot of people who've just had one psychedelic, psychedelic experience, which has completely changed their perspective on reality. It makes people aware that there is this kind of hidden extra dimension. You know, there's the world is full of mysterious phenomena, which they weren't aware of before. Again, you know, I like to use this metaphor of the landscape, as you probably realize. You know, they're suddenly aware that there is this whole extra landscape of reality which they can explore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that. Thank you for (laughs) for going there. (laughs) But again, I'll have to read the leap now to see uh, what else you have to say about that. But so this does bring up another question that, so in all these, I want to dive deeper into some of these specific contexts that you speak of, like incarceration, combat, addiction, et cetera. But um, in in any of these situations where the, the shifters are the ones who experience this transformation through turmoil, not everybody does. So what do you see as the difference between the folks who end up shifting up in the face of turmoil versus breaking down?
2: Mm, That's true. That was one of the questions which really puzzled me when I began to investigate this phenomenon. Because, I mean, as you say, everybody goes through trauma at some point in their lives. You know, like the Buddha said, life entails suffering. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, only I mean, a lot of people experience post-traumatic growth, but not many people experience transformation through turmoil. So I I did begin to begin to ask myself that question and to investigate it. And um, I came up with a, a few possible reasons. Uh, I'll just mention a couple of them. But one was that it seemed to be a question of readiness of whether, whether people were ready for this transformation, because in most of the people I spoke to, it was almost as if there was a a new latent higher self which was just waiting for the opportunity to emerge. It was kind of ready. It was fully formed as a structure, just mm-hmm. like a an e- a, a, like a, a chick which is waiting in the in the egg to hatch. It's just waiting for the right moment. It's ready. It's just waiting for the right moment. So it was a bit like that. It was almost as if there was, you know, a new fully formed self just waiting inside them to emerge. But in other people, there didn't seem to be the same degree of readiness. Maybe their their higher self wasn't quite ready. Maybe they needed to go through some more unconscious development, some more experience before it was really ready. So that was just, you know, that seemed to be one difference. But also, maybe the most important thing was that it depended on the person's attitude towards their predicament. Some people, understandably, when we face traumatic experiences, we don't want to face up to the reality of it. We try to divert ourselves from them. We don't want to contemplate the full enormity of them. And we don't want to accept them. We kind of resist them. You know, we fight against them and struggle against them. And that's entirely natural, but it doesn't allow the transformational potential of these experiences to manifest themselves. So I found that. When people responded to their predicaments with an attitude of acknowledgement, you know, facing up to the reality and contemplating what the experiences meant. And also, you know, they had a willingness to explore their own feelings, you know, to even if they felt painful inside, they were they were willing to go inside themselves and, you know, explore their own feelings to face the pain. But the most important attitude was acceptance. You know, transformation occurred when people entered into a mode of acceptance, when they let go of resistance, when they surrendered to the experience. It was almost as if, you know, they they were willing to kind of embrace the reality of their predicament to completely open themselves to it. And that was often the moment of transformation. That was often the very moment when transformation occurred in that moment of acceptance.
1: Yeah and I I will say I usually when I read a guest's book um I will inevitably pull a few quotes. I keep an ongoing quote list that I that I just enjoy returning to um for different you know different topics and different themes and one of the quotes I pulled from your book I loved how you defined acceptance and I do you mind if I share this how from the book um No that's to, fine that's great. Yeah so you write that acceptance is not something that we actively do. You can't make an effort to accept a situation. Rather, you let go of the effort to resist it. You don't change anything, but simply let go of the desire to change the situation. And I love that. I, I just have to say, I think you just articulated that so beautifully because I often ask in, in interviews, I I think surrender and acceptance is something that comes up a lot on a spiritual show.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
1: (laughs) How you find acceptance is just so beautiful.
2: I know it, it always takes a, an effort to, to resist situations. So there's a constant effort. It's like sort of putting up a barricade. You've got to com- c- you know, constantly reinforce it. So you're using energy just to keep up that barricade. Yeah. So when you let go, there's a tremendous freeing up of energy. And all of the effort you're putting in is suddenly released. So there's a feeling of freedom. But yeah. most importantly, there's a feeling of connection, a feeling of oneness, because you're no longer... In duality with you know with, with the predicament you, you it's part of you you've opened yourself to it it's part of your reality so there's a feeling of openness and oneness
1: yeah yeah oh that's beautiful um okay so i have another question as you were talking um when you were d- describing perhaps what what differentiates the the shifters from the folks who don't transform through that turmoil and you were talked about this the the latent self uh For some folks, that seem like that higher self was really ready, kind of like a chick coming out of an egg. So, Mm -hmm. um, we're at a point in human evolution, and I just like um, in the intro when I was reading how Eckhart Tolle has described your work. You know, there's it's an important Mm -hmm. contribution to the shift in consciousness which is happening on our planet at present. Clearly, something is happening now. Um, So many spiritual teachers are talking about this, and my goodness, there are many. Um, ancient prophecies from various uh, indigenous cultures, et cetera, who have pointed to this moment. So I'm curious from where you sit: Do you see more folks experiencing transformation through turmoil than say you would have seen maybe a hundred or so years ago? Like, are there more mm. folks experiencing this as we're kind of uh, waking up as a species? Hopefully, perhaps.
2: Mm. <laughs> That's certainly my feeling. It's difficult to say for sure, but I'm constantly amazed at the number of people I encounter who've had this experience. Almost every week, two or three people write to me and say, oh, I've I've read about this in your books and I've had the same experience and they they tell me the story. And it seems to be incredibly common. So it's almost as if there is a new self. And I talked about this latent higher self and it's almost as if it's unfolding in the whole human race. It's almost as if it's the next state that we're going to move into. And, you know, the next state we're going to shift into. And it's already established and it's kind of just waiting to emerge. It's manifesting itself slowly, but surely. And interestingly, there is research showing that spiritual experiences are more common now than they were 30, 40 years ago. They're much more common now, according to research.
1: So that's interesting
2: too. Yeah. You know, I think if, if I remember rightly, there were surveys by Gallup and by the Pew Research Center into whether people had had mystical or spiritual experiences. And it's doubled, um, at least doubled in the past 30 years, which is interesting.
1: It is. And I wonder if that's a factor of people being more comfortable talking about it now, or if they hmm. actually are happening more frequently, or maybe both.
2: It could be, yeah. I mean, one thing I found in my research is that people sometimes repress spiritual experiences because they're afraid of being thought of as crazy Mm-hmm. So they, they actually have them and then they, they forget about them because they they don't want to they don't want to remember them, especially if they conflict with their view of reality if they're mm-hmm. kind of materialistic people or scientifically minded people with a materialist view of reality, they don't really want they don't really want to contemplate the experiences because they disturb their view of reality. So yeah, maybe people are just not repressing the experiences anymore and they're more they're happier to talk about them.
1: Well, however it's happening, I'm excited. It makes, it gives me hope because I know when we look around and sometimes things seem pretty chaotic and negative. And I think, wow, you balance it with folks like you who are showing that these really cool things are happening um, as as individuals and perhaps as a species. That um, gives me hope that that, uh, we've got, we're going good places ultimately.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's certainly very interesting. There's something very interesting happening.
1: Yes. Well, so let's talk a little bit about some of these various contexts that you've done some in depth research on. Um, so I, let's see. I'm like looking at my outline. Like, oh, where should we go first? Actually, why don't we go to incarceration first? Because I know you devoted, you actually devoted two different chapters in the book because this is such a big topic. And because we're talking about perhaps the the future evolution of the human race and this this these latent higher selves that hopefully are coming through more frequently. Uh, Sri Arubindo, um, that was someone Ooh. a prisoner who it sounds like was pretty impactful uh, for you personally and in in your work. Um, can we talk a little bit about
2: <laughs> sure. transformation
1: through incarceration and begin with him?
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, I'm a great a great admirer of him, of Sri Aurobindo. He's, uh, I think he's one of the most profound spiritual authors, um, you know, who's ever written spiritual books. Um, and interestingly, I never knew this, but he, his, his transformation, his spiritual awakening did occur in prison when he was about 29 years old, I think. He was originally a very political person. He was in India at the time of the British Empire. So he was an it was kind of like an agitator. He was fighting for Indian independence, and what happened was that one a member of his organization planted a bomb, which killed two or three people. I can't remember exactly. And even though Sri Aurobindo didn't do it, he was sent into prison with some of the other members of the organization. They just wanted to shut the organization down. And as you can imagine, the conditions were incredibly severe. Um, he was in a very small cell. It was incredibly hot in India, obviously there was no ventilation diet was incredibly poor and there was no toilet they had to just use a you know bowls or buckets which were only clean once a day oh, so he was, was in a terrible situation in solitary confinement as well and coincidentally though or maybe not coincidentally <laughs> shortly before his incarceration he had learned to do yoga and to meditate but he wanted he, he his his idea was that he wanted to have more energy for his political activism that's why he'd learned meditation and yoga But he decided in prison that he may as well just practice meditation. So he he began to meditate every day for long periods. And he found that in addition to getting more energy and to feeling more healthy in this terrible predicament, he felt a sense of freedom and an openness as he meditated. And one day he was meditating and suddenly something gave way inside him. Suddenly his inner being was flooded with light. He felt this incredible sense of freedom and euphoria. And he knew that he was having a a powerful spiritual experience. And like a lot of people who have this experience, he expected it to fade away, but it didn't. He he had a continual sense of this illumination inside him and this sense of well-being, this this sense of connection, and this sense that spirit was everywhere around him. You know, he he writes that when he, um, in the mornings, he was taken for a short walk for about half an hour around the prison grounds, and he'd just look at the sky and the trees, and he'd sense spirit pervading everything. He knew that they were all manifestations of spirit. And he knew that he was a manifestation of spirit too. His own inner being was, was consisted of spirit. So it was a real revelation. And when he was let, let out of prison after a year, his old friends expected him to carry on the political work. But he said, no, from now on, from now on, I'm going to work for the good of the whole of humanity. And he became a, a spiritual teacher and a, and a spiritual author, and that was his path for the rest of his life.
1: Ah, oh, yeah. And I, you write that uh, Sri Aurobindo's main insight was that what present-day human beings experience as higher states of consciousness are glimpses of the future of evolution, and will one day be normal to the whole human race. So I'm definitely. I was. Mm. I've heard his name before, but I was not familiar with any of the specifics that you talk about here. And so I'm definitely. I'm intrigued now i want to find out more about his theories on all of that
2: <laughs> yeah yeah he was a big inspiration to me because he connects um spiritual awakening with evolution so yeah. he's very pertinent to my book because i mean I, I often say in the book that these glimpses of higher states they are kind of waiting for the whole human race you know there, there is a collective evolutionary aspect to it
1: yes i love that um, yeah and so we're talking about incarceration and and again, as I mentioned, you've devoted two chapters to this context, which the rest of them they they each get their own treatment with one chapter so and you write that you know in your view the type of suffering that that has the highest arguably the highest degree of spiritual potential is incarceration, so that seems i would think i mean kind of counterintuitive so why why is that um dr taylor
2: um I think there are two main reasons um the first one is that in prison you know you're in such a turbulent aggressive environment such a terrible environment that you can't find peace or happiness anywhere around you so you have to the only direction is to go inside you have to turn inside to find peace and happiness so i think some prisoners do that and and they begin to explore their own being in a way that maybe they've never done before. I mean, obviously, you know, when we live our ordinary lives, we're very externally focused. We're, our lives are full of activities and full of distractions and entertainments. But in prison, you know, you, you have to go inside and explore yourself. For some prisoners, that's quite painful, and they don't want to do it, and it creates more frustration and more turmoil. But for some, some people who are maybe innately more spiritually developed, you know, they can go inside and explore their own being, and they find something new and unexpected inside them. They find A kind of contentment within their own inner space they find an expansiveness within themselves and they begin to feel more and more at home there so a lot of prisoners start to meditate and they start to change their attitude to other people they become more empathic more compassionate but i think probably the main factor is that in prison you go through a process of, of letting go of everything which is a kind of spiritual development. You know, we, we talk about letting go a lot in spirituality. But in prison, you know, everything which defines you as a person is outside the prison walls. You know, your your possessions, your role in society, your role as a husband or wife or father or child. You know, everything is out there on the other side. So inside, you're really nobody. You you have to let go of everything. and then, And obviously, that's very painful for some people. But for some prisoners, it can be a liberating experience. Because, you know, it, it, it leads to it can lead to a, a kind of identity collapse, because I think these external attachments to possessions or to relationships or to roles or to achievements or ambitions to the future, they are what give us a sense of identity. They create our sense of who we are. So when those are taken away, your identity can crumble away, just like a building when you take the bricks away from a building but that's when transformation can occur that's when a new self can arise inside you when the old self has crumbled away so i think some prisoners do go through that liberating experience
1: yeah it was really um I guess there was a lot of hope around this. There's a particular um, organization that you mentioned in the book called the prison Phoenix trust. That's really all about the idea that prison can offer an opportunity for spiritual growth. And there was an inmate who wrote, um, this is from one of the prison Phoenix trusts. Um, This is one of the inmates involved with them. And this prisoner wrote all my life I've been lost or so caught up in my own self-centeredness It's like my whole life I've been in prison and now I actually am in prison and I feel so free, so calm and at ease with life and peace and at peace. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is, that's an organization that like, I just want to call and bring some attention to because they are doing good work.
2: (laughs) Yeah. They're doing great, great work in the UK that they're, they're active in about 10% of UK prisons. So it's quite a lot, you know, that they run meditation classes and they have a newsletter where prisoners can write about their spiritual experiences and any kind of experiences. So yeah, they do a fantastic work.
1: Yeah. And I, those, those who are incarcerated, you know, we all have our, the, those causes that really tug at your heart. And, um, while I have not done work personally, uh, within the prison system, it's something that really calls to me. So anyway, I was really excited to hmm. see that there are folks doing work like that.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: Well, okay. So incarceration, that's, that is definitely something that not everyone will experience in a lifetime. But one of the other contexts that you do write about that I think is a lot more common than we even realize, and that's transformation through addiction. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really stood out to me, um, really fascinating, and I would love to hear more about this, um, that there's this, this um, experience for some about a through, uh, sorry, it's called addiction release. Um, so tell us about transformation through addiction and, and some of those who experience addiction relief, what that is and how incredible that actually is. Yeah, I did find
2: a strong association between addiction and transformation through turmoil. And I think that's because addiction is, it's a long process in which your ego breaks down. It's a long process of loss in which you lose everything, which gives you a sense of identity or Everything which brings um, you know a sense of security into, into in, in your life. So people who are addicted, they slowly lose their their jobs, their possessions, sometimes their families, their self respect, and so forth. So it's a process of ego dissolution, you could say. And you know, a, a lot of addicts reach a point of of you know the the they bottom out as as, as, as it's sometimes called. They lose everything, and they reach a point where they see no future they can't carry on and they contemplate suicide but that's that's often the moment when transformation occurs and yeah as you say one of the strange phenomenon I came across was addiction release and um, let me make sure I just give you a brief example to illustrate it Please. And that was a, it was a, a woman I interviewed called Eve a Scottish woman who was a you know a heavy drinker for 29 years and she ended up homeless uh in a complete state of hopelessness she was just drinking to control the withdrawal symptoms you know to stop herself shaking or to stop herself having hallucinations so she 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 couldn't stop drinking and uh, but she knew she, she she knew she couldn't carry on drinking so she decided to attempt suicide which she did she attempted suicide but luckily survived and when what happened was that she tried to commit suicide by jumping in front of a, a coach but the coach swerved and the police came the police took her to a parents house and her parents uh, gave her some they gave her a glass of wine because they assumed she was an alcoholic they had to give her a drink but she couldn't drink it she picked up the glass and put it down again and picked it up and put it down again but she wasn't physically able to drink it and then after she had some medication to control the, the withdrawal symptoms and when she regained consciousness she looked at herself in the mirror and didn't recognize herself. She, she said, um, you know, I, I don't know who that is. I, I don't associate myself with that person. So it was as if she had become a different person. But then she realized gradually that the urge to drink had just disappeared. She didn't have this craving for alcohol anymore, which had, it dominated her life for 29 years. You know, she said that every single moment of the day she was thinking about drinking or actually drinking. But it had just gone for some bizarre reason. And she felt completely different she had this feeling of connection to her surroundings she felt this sense of inner well-being and this sense of gratitude but she found it really mysterious that the addiction had just disappeared and that's what i call it addiction release and it's not uncommon you know i found a lot of cases where people would spontaneously and mysteriously let go of their addictions
1: yeah and the the thing that stood out to me, it's kind of an ongoing, or at least an ongoing um, theme in the book is that it's 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 not the same person after the transformation through the turmoil. There is, as we've talked about that, that, what you call the latent higher functioning awakened self. It literally is a new being that kind of takes the wheel. And one of the things that stood out to me about Eve's case, which um, you also, you talk about this phenomenon later in the book is that Eve, for example, when she was on the streets, I know she was uh, raped, I think, on more than one occasion. She was held by a a convicted murderer um, for several days and experienced really, really severe violence and trauma while she was in that three decades of of alcoholism. When she, quote, you know, woke up or when this, this new, you know, when she looked in the mirror after she regained consciousness and said, I don't know. I don't recognize myself. What was also gone was the trauma, the effects of the trauma, which from what little I know about trauma, it's something that sticks with you. It stays, it stays with the body. It stays with the psyche. And these folks that you are talking about here, here specifically, Eve in, in this context, the trauma leaves too, which is just crazy to me.
2: That's right. Yeah. It yeah. is literally as if they are becoming a different different person. Some of them actually describe that. that they said that they felt they were different people living in the same body. And that's yeah. really the only way of explaining addiction relief because the person who was addicted is no longer there. They they've dissolved away. And the new person who has taken over their identity doesn't carry the addiction. So that they're, they're yeah. free of the addiction. And it's the same with trauma. You know, the trauma belonged to the person who has dissolved away. And there were sometimes uh, cases where people had illnesses or physical conditions that, that plagued them for many years, and they would disappear suddenly as well. And you right. know, really, the only way of explaining that is in terms of a, a completely new sense of identity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so while we're, you know, uh, talking about the, the, the new identity and we touched on this earlier on in the show, but one of the areas that I am most fascinated by, one of the contexts in which transformation through turmoil can happen, is transformation through facing death. And you actually specify there are two kinds of encounters with death that that you explore, one of which is the near-death experience, which I'd love to talk about, but also you talk about accident, injury, or more long-term illnesses. Um, So tell us a little bit more about how facing death is is one of those places where you can experience that transformation through turmoil.
2: Uh, When people feel that they leave their bodies and travel through darkness towards a light, and sometimes they encounter deceased relatives. But it can also happen simply through a close brush with mortality. So through an accident uh, or maybe a serious illness.
1: Yeah. And that was the, I think the reason that I'm so fascinated by the near-death experience is, is the, well, it's just such an interesting phenomenon. So well-researched um, that the, the the things that a person encounters when they are um, having the experience, but I love, uh, I think we talked about this a little earlier, but that when you have these kind of experiences, the effects are long lasting, like the vividness of the near-death experience does not leave the person, even if it is decades later in their life, it is still as vivid as visceral and whatever, um, uh, I guess, change in how they see themselves or their values, it, it sticks with them until, until they ultimately pass away. Um, is that what you found with the folks that you talked to?
0: I think we're having some little technical difficulties across okay. the pond there, Sonny. Sorry. Wait, sure.
1: Sure. Yeah. No, no, Benny, you work on that and I can carry it until we get, we can figure out what happened. Okay. Um, Yeah. So um, some of the other, um, the other areas or contexts in which um, if you're out there listening and you're wondering, you know, when, when does this transformation through turmoil occur and how can you maybe be aware of it? Um, just like Dr. Taylor was talking about, Um, If you encounter your own type of turmoil. um, um, So some of the other ones, I think one of the most common ones that folks experience uh, in a human lifetime is bereavement. Um, Dr. Taylor writes about this being one of the most significant sources of uh, post-traumatic growth and of uh, transformation through turmoil. um, Because I think um, uh, everyone has experienced the loss of a loved one. Um, And so then there's also uh, transformation through depression and stress Um, And so uh, I think something that would be of interest to folks here at KKW our listeners here, is one of the types of depression that Dr. Taylor explores, um, specifically is spiritual depression. And I just want to say that because if that triggers anything for someone out there listening, this is when a person is alienated from their spiritual nature, um, and that can actually be a source of depression. Um, and, And one of the things, I think Dr. Taylor mentioned this earlier on in the show, but that Some of the folks who'd had spiritual awakenings early on in life, like as a child, for example, um, and then did not know how to talk about it, or the adults in their life did not accept what had happened for them, um, they repressed it. And that became later in life uh, a source of of spiritual depression. Um, So, um, either however it comes about, depression and stress can also be those contexts in which transformation through trauma can happen. Um, and then let's see, there were a couple of other ones. Let's see, there were other types of turmoil that were not explored specifically in this book, but it does it doesn't mean that they don't happen for folks. And one of the ones that stuck out in memory, um, I think this was a story from uh Dr. Taylor's book, uh, The Leap. And it was a mother who had not slept, it was mother of a new infant who had not slept for. Uh, four or so days, and that kind of stress um, actually was the the I guess the that the event or the transformational event through the turmoil that um, was connected to her spiritual awakening. Um, um, and how are we doing, Benny? Should I keep going?
0: Yeah. Cause I still have not seen him log back in. I wonder if we're having some technical difficulties across I the water there. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep, I will okay. keep going. And sure. then if we need to end a little early because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of <clears throat> me not <laughs> running out of my outline, then we certainly could do that. Let's see. Let me find some other things that I can share with you all that may be interesting about this. Uh, let's see, Um, why transformation through trauma doesn't happen for everyone. Um, And this was an interesting statistic um, that Dr. Taylor talks about is that I think everybody is, not everybody would be familiar with, but you may be familiar with that post-traumatic growth syndrome that we have talked about earlier in the show. Whereas that is quite common in um, trauma or turmoil situations. Uh, transformation through turmoil, the specific phenomenon that Dr. Taylor researches and explores, fewer than 1% of people experience that. Um, It actually can be associated with certain personality traits like openness, um, being open to your experiences and not being someone who kind of comes into turmoil with a rigid outlook on life or a fundamentalist belief system. Um, It can also be uh, dependent on a person's attitude toward the psychological turmoil. And as uh, we talked a little bit about acceptance early on in the show, um, I really like Dr. Taylor's definition. And he actually writes that the most important aspect around um, whether or not someone will have the transformation through the turmoil is acceptance. Um, And also whether the latent self is, more fully formed and ready to emerge. Um, One of the other things, uh, and this was particularly, um, I think, relevant to the folks who were incarcerated that he talks about in the book, um, that one of the factors that can make the the spiritual awakening through the turmoil more likely to occur is a meditation practice or learning to meditate. That seemed to be one of those themes that um, went from, Um, went throughout all of the contexts, whether the person was incarcerated, whether they were bereaved, whether they were experiencing depression and stress. Um, The ability to meditate was something that made, it seems, um, the transformation through turmoil more likely to occur, and also inactivity and solitude. Um, So I guess those kind of go hand in hand. One of the things that we can learn from shifters transformations, because You know, not everybody is going to experience the type of turmoil or trauma that the folks that Dr. Taylor um, researches, not everyone's going to experience that um, because, you know, incarceration or um, uh, combat situations, that's another one he explores. Not everybody's going to go through that. Um, So what can we as people just out there um, live in our lives, not having had this kind of turmoil What can we learn from the shifter's uh, transformations? And one of the things is that it can teach us how to respond to suffering and trauma when these arrive in our lives, whether it's in the kind of grand scale or the really serious human predicaments that um, Dr. Taylor's subjects have encountered, but just the day-to-day stuff like a divorce, like a bankruptcy, like the loss of a job, like um, the loss of a pet, things like that. Um, that so we can learn from how the shifters transform, how to respond to our own suffering and turmoil. Um, And there are also some practices and guidelines in our own spiritual development that can give us some basic principles that we can apply. And a couple of the things that Dr. Taylor recommends is embracing challenge, consciously detaching and contemplating death. And so I'll just unpack one of these a little bit because it stood out to me. Um, the contemplating death. I think we in Western culture particularly, death is not something that we enjoy talking about. Um, we Death is pretty removed from us um, from the time that a person dies. Instead of it um, in past you know centuries, the, the person died at home and the body was there and cared for and prepared by the loved ones. Now the bodies are taken away immediately and we're very detached from the process of what happens. Um, not only when the spirit leaves the body. Um, The book is Extraordinary Awakenings. Um, I've been talking to Dr. Steve Taylor, um, and these are all the experiences um, of his research of folks who have experienced transformation through turmoil. I hope that you all are inspired by the stories that we've talked about here today. And if you want to find out more about Dr. Taylor and his work and the new book, Extraordinary Awakenings, you can visit stephenmtaylor.com. That is stephenmtaylor.com. And that's Stephen with a V. Um, Thank you all so much for listening. Um, You have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, and we will see you next week.